0: Hello, Being at Work listeners. This is your host, Andrea Butcher. And as you know, this is a show that brings leadership lessons to life through stories. And across May, June, and July, we're partnering with our friends at Gibson as their CEO and chairman of the board, Tim Lehman, shares some of his best stories and highlights three ways to find and own your leadership edge. After all, Gibson is a firm of advisors and consultants that help their clients get to the proactive side of insurance and find their edge. This plays out internally at Gibson as well as they're employee-owned and have such a unique culture, unique to their industry, as you'll hear in Tim's stories. They also have their own podcast appropriately titled The Edge, so be sure to check that out. In today's mini episode, I asked Tim about the power of the team as a key to finding and owning your leadership edge. Listen in as he talks about how things are better when you're doing them with someone else and creating a culture of team empowerment and the impact that's had on clients and their business. Check it
1: out. I've been a super competitive person since as long as I can remember. And so whether that was school stuff or maybe it was little league teams or whatever, really wanted to do well and succeed. But even all the way back then, even though I, I couldn't articulate it or understand it, I always liked it better when I was doing it with someone else whether it was sharing the stories afterwards or talking through rehashing the plays or whatever it was, doing it with someone else just meant more to me and brought me a lot more joy. When I go back and think about those kind of things too, it didn't take long before I realized that having the right team together would give an advantage to, to get the win. So, you know, it might've been in math class, you have to solve a big problem or whatever. I thought about that and the, getting the right people together, somebody who could do this really well. Maybe it's, maybe it's whoever's best at the chalkboard on writing quickly, you know, cause we're, we're timed. And even back then, if I had a chance to pick my teammates, I would actually pick the squad of other classmates and kids that would lead to a win over my friends. And I figured I could be friends with them afterwards, but, <laughs> but in order to succeed and win, We needed the the tall guy or the tall gal to, you know, to reach up on the chalkboard and some of those maybe leadership skills that were probably hardwired in from the very beginning, pick the team and then try to convince them to take on a particular role that I thought they were best suited for anyway, along the way. I think too, what came about though is realizing that not all teammates were created equal. They didn't bring the same attitude and effort to it that maybe I was. And, and that became kind of, it has been for my whole life, a central theme. And I've learned to be a lot more empathetic now, but the way to have the shortest leash uh, with me is to just not give it your best. I definitely appreciate different ability levels. I'm absolutely not even close to the most talented, you know, person I know. I mean, there's so many other great people that I'm around. But everybody can, you know, give give their best effort. And then the other thing that, that really came about in, in the not all teammates being created equal is you could put three or four or five people together that were really talented in some some way. But if they if the parts and pieces didn't really blend and fit together, then it didn't work. They overlapped or they everybody wanted to do the same role, whatever that might be. And those are lessons I think that have stayed with me all the way through. And I probably didn't appreciate them at the time, but looking back now, I think I've always been interested and more connected to a team victory than an individual one.
0: Is that why the team selling model is so important to you and the team at Gibson?
1: Yeah, we have a really unique model relative to our whole industry around the country. And I probably get, you know, an inquiry once a quarter from somebody in a peer group or people I don't really even know that want to talk to us about our model. They've heard about it and they want to implement it. And I think most of them ultimately don't. They feel like it's going to be too much work. They couldn't get their lone wolf salespeople, hunter type personalities to actually share compensation together, to put that stuff at risk with other people and to have to rely on teammates. But the ones that have, it's been really neat to watch their, their companies yeah. succeed. So a lot of that teaming model for me, besides what I had had mentioned just about being a young person and all that. My second job after college was a really, you know, incredible experience, worked around some great people. And as things got more complex, corporate began tightening a lot of the screws down. And one day they, they let go of a senior salesperson that was a great mentor to me, one of the smartest people I've ever known, I mean, He went to the College of Insurance in New York City, you know, in the 70s and was like just this walking encyclopedia, had these huge accounts. His clients loved him, but he didn't really care anymore about being the number one salesperson. He kept all his clients. He just didn't really add to it. And instead of, I don't know, I guess in that environment, probably they needed to adjust his compensation a little bit. He would have been fine with that. They whacked him. And I just thought, like, what a shame wow. because wow. my 20 something self just knew how much I relied on him and there had to be a better way. So it, one of those little pieces of a future playbook started forming that if I ever got a chance to do it hundred percent my way, I was going to find a way to, to blend somebody like that in with the new people, you know, starting out. And I just realized how they missed it. They just missed the boat entirely.
0: And the impact that has on your culture. I mean, I think about the connection then, the willingness to support and help each other. It really does create a teaming environment, doesn't it?
1: It absolutely does. I mean, there's so many things about it. There are so much better. As we did this and got better at it and have gotten better at it over the last, say, 15 years, we've learned a lot of things. We've learned about having gender balance in the teams. Hmm. And really purely from a selfish standpoint, Again, going back to wanting to win the opportunity, well, let's get the person that the client most connects and relates with. And so having that gender balance on the team, you just don't know whether someone's going to relate more to a male or a female. We you know, also have a lot of different natural tendencies of listening and talking and all those kind of things. And so to have a partner there watching, observing, reading body language, jumping in, redirecting, is is so powerful and then when it comes to actually doing the work and getting it done for a client things happen in life people move they relocate and clients don't like it any better when they have to start over and train somebody new on their account so by having a couple of people involved with it right from the very beginning who are in the loop and aware it it brings such a better experience to the client and then even down into clients appreciate that different people on the team Feel different needs for them at different points in time. As we got going in this and I still had clients I worked with, Hmm. I came to realize that my style and so on, I I had a need to dominate a lot of the meetings and they got better work done a lot of times without me being in there. But when there was something big going down, it might've been the private equity firm was in town or the board or whatever. They wanted my galvanizing Mm -hmm. skills for that, that meeting. And so being willing to acknowledge what you're good at and what you're not is huge part of it as well. And we, our teams do a really good job of not labeling anyone as a hunter or a farmer. Cause that really reminded me of those old days at the national firm, but I'd say they all know who the best originator is and they all know who the best consultant is, but we don't have to put, rub it in their face, but gravitate towards and spend more of your time doing the thing that, that you're best at and having the help from everybody else. So we, we take, you know, um, three, four, five salespeople, could be veterans, or as my first boss out of college called me, Sparky. We've, I've kept the Sparky tradition alive. We like to have a Sparky or two on every team um, that's pretty fresh right out of college or, or new to sales. And we put them all together and they earn a combined, we call it the compensation pie or the bucket, at the beginning of the year, they all agree to what percentage of the bucket everybody gets at the end of the year. And they don't know how their year is going to go exactly, project all that out. But because of that, it's proportionately equal to everyone. So if, if Sparky has an account at risk, but it's really not one of the biggest ones, it, it actually still matters. It matters to everyone. And if you need help on on something, they're all there. I, I remember back to those early days, right out of school, it was unique to go immediately into sales in uh, the insurance brokerage world, right out of college. And I had some awful lonely days and I, I was probably as good of a candidate to do that as anyone. And I remember um, Circle Center Mall in Indianapolis had really just opened up and I would fake that I had appointments and go in there and like wander around. I mean, I was like that lost and, and I was driven, I was focused, I was competitive, but it was just difficult, you know, dealing with rejection, all those kind of things. And so I had so many of those moments too, where you had some veteran people that maybe weren't great guys, great gals, and didn't really care, but there were a lot of them that did. And I'd have them all teed up to go to some really small opportunity that was a two-hour car ride away. And I'm sure they had no interest in doing it, but they were going to do it for me. Hmm. But that morning it's, you know, hey, Timmy, my my biggest account just blew up and I'm I'm really, really sorry. And I knew they meant it too. I can't go with you. And I saw other younger people that got tired of the veterans always taking half or 100% of all the credit and the money. And so they would go out on their own and they weren't, they shouldn't have been on their own there. They didn't know, we didn't know enough. And so that's where a lot of those, again, those ideas formed. And then later on experience and seeing some of these veterans cast aside when all that needed was kind of a reboot on, on their role. So we brought all that together um, here. And yeah, when you give five people this and salespeople in particular, most of salespeople are tend to be a little bit coin operated or a lot coin operated and tell them, hey, you five work it out here and just let us know how you're gonna divvy up the comp. And it, it's, it has forced them all to then acknowledge by way of doing that exercise what everybody's role is. But it's also been great to watch like a lot of our veterans have a peaceful transition into retirement, not feeling threatened by corporate they want to help the Sparky on their team. They spend several years introducing them to their clients, and the Sparkies of the world who, you know, have these ups and downs, and you know, a lot of them tend to be newly married, and they got to go home to their spouse. and They they won something; they're going to make more money, and they lost something. Are we going to make the mortgage payment? And instead, to have all that blended together. It, it, speaking of risk management and, and the business we're in, but risk management for that team, there's this longer term trajectory that's built out. And for 15 years, I've offered to arbitrate any disputes if necessary, and never had to once. And I've, I've had veterans and I've had rookies come to me on the side and ask, say, Hey, is this fair? I'm thinking about this. Am I being generous enough? Or, Hey, is this a good deal? Or how do I ask the veteran on my team that I think I'm worth more or whatever? I just wanted to get your thoughts and we've never, never had to actually Fix a problem
0: because you've empowered them to work it out. I mean that that's key in that scenario. It's so cool how you've created this system that alleviates a lot of the challenges that you experienced early on in your career.
1: And then you know, Andrea, as we've grown too, it took on another form of value for us too. Because I couldn't be with everybody all the time. And then when it came to having leadership and management and training, we just couldn't do it for everyone. And and although systems help from a training standpoint, when it comes to salespeople, there's just nothing like on the job training. And so that training now takes place within these teams. And we've even gotten to the point of, we talk about kind of having almost like we're a mini private equity, uh, you know, organization and we'll fund the investment in the team. So you want a new person, what kind of person, what role are they going to fit? What's the pro forma? What do you need from us? And when does the spigot turn off from our end? And again, that ownership, like you talked about, goes back on them. The onus goes on them. We, we fully fund the new hire for the first year. And I figure that way there's no blood. We hope that we don't make mistakes when we make a hire. Um, we put everything we have into it. And if they choose to keep that person around in a year or two, which they almost always do, they begin, the rest of the teammates, begin helping fund the compensation for that individual. So they have to really want it. And, and the pain is on them to make sure that they make year one a great year for them. So it's also allowed us to, to scale more quickly.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Tim, thank you so much. How can our listeners best connect with you? If they want to learn more about you, Gibson, The Edge, tell us where to find you.
1: One of the the best places to go and just a singular place would be on LinkedIn. And um, Tim and last name Layman, L E M A N. So my name spelled a little bit unique for Layman. So it should be easy to find. I'm really active on there. Often i will tell a story about something goofy that I just learned or did, or watching some other people be successful. But by doing that, then my email and our website and all those kind of things are are there and will be easy to find.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.